Before I begin, I just want to say what a blessing it's been to be with all of you here at the Benton Harbor Church. I've been here once before, but being able to spend the 10 days has been a, a wonderful blessing. Um, thank you once again for the invite. Thank you for the help. Thank you for your friendship. And I would also say that um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this can be uh, the beginning of a, a longer-term relationship. I go all over the world and I tell people, if you come to some meetings that I hold, um, I choose to stay in contact. Maybe I'll go to this other microphone. Let me try this one. Is this better? Much better. I don't know. Lapel microphones are nine, unless they're right to my mouth. They don't work quite so well. So that's why I usually am holding one of these. But thank you so much. It's been a real blessing. Um, there are plenty of resources uh, available. I handed out the booklet. If you don't have one, by all means, ask for one. We want everyone to have one. And please... Read through some of the sections again. Some of that really you can only appropriately read that on your knees because it's, it's very strong medicine. It's called high fiber. You know, it's not uh, white bread. It's, it's really life-changing and, and that's the whole purpose. And Rose and I are, are praying together and our lives are changing as well. So uh, including what we talked about last evening about the call to to live like Jesus lived. Really, it's a, a paradigm shift when you realize the call to take up God's yoke of obedience and service and to walk in meekness and lowliness with other people. You know, I've, I've read through that verse many times, but until I really took it seriously, it wasn't like I expected. So, please. And the audio is on the web, and the booklet is on the web, and the things I've given out are on the web, plus some things I mentioned are there as well. So there's no reason and uh, you know you can share the the PDF that's on the web as far as you want as far as I'm concerned and we just pray that the Lord will be able to use it. Secondly, uh, we do have a newsletter and I would love anyone to to be on it that wants and I have two pads of paper. Sam, if you just pass around, a lot of people put their name and phone numbers there um, Yesterday, and if you have, then just pass it along. And if you choose not to receive anything digitally, um, that won't hurt my feelings. But for some who'd like to, to hear from us, that's fine. It's not a fundraising letter. It's more where I talk about what God is doing. Although the last one, I was in Mongolia, and I discovered that they truly, they had all of $300 in the bank. And it was in America. And uh, there was no other money. And so Rose and I, we just felt led just give money which brought food, and then I let others know through my newsletter that there's a real need, and, and it made all the difference for that ministry in Mongolia. So occasionally I let people know what else is going on, but uh, it's, the purpose is not fundraising. You know, we live by faith, but uh, there are times when God calls upon us, so be sure and write very carefully, because usually I can't read all of the emails uh, addresses, and that's why there's the phone number, so I can call people and say, I just wasn't able to get your email address to work. Then, um, I just want to say thank you to all the ministries represented here and, and you know, your generosity for what you do here as a church. 
Today we heard from, uh, you know, about the blessings of, of giving for the ministry in Papua New Guinea. And I feel pretty strongly that each one of us needs to pray and ask God, what is it that you want me to do? As Rose mentioned, either we should be a missionary, well, or a heart of a missionary. It's one of those two things. I'm not sure I have her wording right. But the point is, if we can't go, we should help someone that can go. But I'm not here saying you should support Rose and I. I'm saying you need to ask God what he wants you to do and do whatever he puts on your heart, okay? Because there are great needs, great, great needs. And God is big enough for everyone that is working. So uh, by all means, pray for everyone and do as much as you can. But uh, ask God to lead you in that, okay? Now this past week we've been... uh, and before, we've been studying about revival, right? We first talked about how revival is the greatest and most urgent need in the church. We talked about pursuing revival. I pointed out to those attending that, you know, often when we pursue revival, we begin with prayer, and then we kind of work from there. We kind of expect something to happen in the church as a result of our prayers. And I pointed out that Ellen White says, it is our work by, and then she lists four things, and they're in a very specific order. She starts with confession, she goes on to humiliation, then she says repentance, and she ends with earnest prayer. Because if we haven't confessed, if we haven't humiliated ourselves, if we have chosen not to repent, you know, we can confess, Ellen White says, but many confess but don't repent, they don't change their lives. If none of that goes on, we are wasting our time praying at some level because God cannot bless us. And I'm very concerned that in the Adventist church, in too many cases, we are pursuing a very superficial revival that will not occur. Okay? It is when people say, God, show me what's needed. And last night I I read a verse from 2 Chronicles 29. We won't look at it now. But when Hezekiah was repairing the temple, he told them two things. Sanctify yourselves or consecrate yourselves. Make a new surrender to God. Make a complete surrender to God. And also remove all the rubbish from the holy place. And all of us need to re-surrender ourselves and to remove whatever rubbish there is in our hearts, in our lives, in our thinking, in our homes, whatever the case might be, because if we do not, God cannot and will not bless us. Did you hear me? God cannot bless someone who is choosing to go contrary to his word. Now, maybe you haven't thought of it that way, but that is the absolute truth. God cannot and will not, because if he were to bless us, what would be the message given? You can do whatever you want. It will make no difference with God. But that's not the way that it works. And when we speak of revival, revival being the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in great power, That happens when a church has fully surrendered to the control and individuals have surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not look at certain things. The Holy Spirit will not walk to certain places. The Holy Spirit will not do certain things. And so if we choose to to look and to go and to do, the Holy Spirit says, you go, but you go without me. Did you hear me? So if we want the presence of the Holy Spirit, we need to accept the values of the Holy Spirit. We need to accept the values of the Bible. And to the degree that we follow those values, to that degree, God will be able to bless us. Please understand, 
after everything is said and done, as was mentioned in Sabbath school this morning, even if we think we are perfect, when we really see who God is like, we are humbled. When you and I go to heaven, it's not because we have worked our way to heaven. This is not about salvation by works at all. This is about people who respond in love and realize that God has a message to give to others and they don't want anything in their lives that dishonors God, hinders their ability to witness for God, or prevents them from having that daily relationship that will give them that power. Okay? And so, you know, when, 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 we, when our brother sang for us about if my people who are called by my name right? If they will pray, if they will turn, right? Then God will come. And that is the great need, my brothers and sisters, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. God wants to bless us with revival more than we could possibly imagine. So the order is confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer. When we follow those conditions, and I believe that's the right order, then I believe we will see revival. And we have kind of taken that direction this week. So we, we, we talked about pursuing revival, and then we, we went through, a, I think, what was a bit of a challenging evening where we discussed what's to confess. And we talked about a lot of things, didn't we? And uh, I would urge you to look in your in, in your booklets, and we'll review some of those things this morning. And then I talked about the need to make restitution, that repenting is more than being sorry, okay? It's a change of behavior, and if necessary, making things right with other people and making things right with God. We spent a couple of sessions on, on reveling in God's mercy, receiving the pardon of God, and and the righteousness of Jesus, where God treats us as if we never made any mistakes. We talked about the need to make the kind of surrender uh, symbolized by taking up the cross. You know, when the person died on the cross, that was the end. They were led against their wishes, you know, and, and died. And we read a quotation where Ellen White says that, you know, it, it's, it's hard to crucify self and not let self have a resurrection every other day. Okay? We need to have a complete death to self. And that's the critical need. You know, we can say, I choose to surrender, but until we choose to die, it is still an incomplete surrender. Then we talked about the need to be emptied of ourselves and our ideas so that the Holy Spirit could take over. Thursday night we talked about the need to accept God's providences as blessings. And we pointed out that when the Boys were in the fiery furnace, those three worthies. The only thing that got affected were those things that were artificially preventing them from walking in freedom. They were thrown into the fire with, 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 with ropes, but in the fire they lost those ropes, but their clothes weren't singed, you know, didn't burn. Their, they didn't even have the smell of smoke. And so when God puts us in the fiery furnace, it's not to damage us, it's not to hurt us, it's actually to give us a freedom that we're unwilling to receive, I'd like to suggest, in our case often, on a voluntary basis. Did you hear me? We put ourselves through so much grief and heartache because we're so stubborn. And God says, I care too much. And so God allows difficulties to come because he wants us to truly know the freedom that he wants to give us in Jesus, right? 
And what does the Bible say? Your ideas, your opinions, your stubbornness will set you free, right? No, the Bible says the truth will set you free. And that's why we've looked at a lot of truth this week in the Bible and in the writings of Ellen White. It is the truth that sets us free. And for those who think they want to be independent and free to do whatever they want, Ellen White says actually that that's the greatest bondage you could have. The only true freedom is the freedom found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then last night we talked about taking up the lifestyle of Jesus, which is choosing to, to seek always to obey him, choosing to always be in service to him, and doing it in a meek and humble way. This morning I want to talk with you now about prayer. I told you that, you know, there were the four things and it would be wrong of me not to spend some time talking about prayer. There was a man, a pastor by the name of John McCready. John McCready said, he said, no power but the Holy Spirit could have caused such a blessed change as has taken place among our dear people. This was back in the 1800s. He says, I'm just in awe of what God has done. He says, in fact, it is beyond anything we had expected. As to prayer meetings, people now delight in coming to them who could not be induced to do so before. Interesting that when we are converted, there's a desire to come to prayer meeting like never before. And I found a statement just this week, never seen it before, and it doesn't appear even in the book on prayer, where she says the spiritual pulse of the church is found in the prayer meeting. That uh, churches that are not spiritual don't want to have prayer meetings, and the people don't want to come to a prayer meeting. Interesting. Um, anyway, so he says now people want to come. Now, in his own case, he began praying with other people, Eventually, the attendance swelled to about 40 people. He began telling his people about what God was doing in other places. And there came a desire. There came a desire to, uh, to have revival. But there was still the careless indifference that had existed before. And so he became concerned. And he preached a sermon on Lamentations 5, why do you forget us forever? This pastor was concerned because other churches were being revived, but his church was not being revived. And so he, he preached. He begged the people, and this is what he told them. He publicly confessed that 11 years had gone by without a single conversion in his church under his ministry, and he begged his members to go to their closets and ask for the Holy Spirit to come into the church. The pastor admitted in so many words, I have been failing. And my brothers and sisters, many of us would probably have to make the confession that we have been failing. Would you agree? If we have a last day message and we have been called to be the light of the world and the Holy Spirit has been given, would you not agree that the evidence of that last day message and the power that should attend it is sadly lacking. Would you agree? We have come to accept what is unacceptable, and the pastor admitted it freely. Suddenly, his members became concerned like him. 
They began coming under conviction and were converted. They began sharing what God was doing in their lives with the people around them. And soon people began coming seriously. Eventually the prayer meeting became so crowded. He said, we sometimes have 1,200 people coming to prayer meeting. Isn't that amazing? Now there are crowded congregations upon the Sabbath. Many come out to hear who for years did not. Instead of shunning religious conversations with their pastor, they are anxious about spiritual things. My brothers and sisters, is that not what you want? Now, I haven't prayed yet. I plan to get on my knees and just share a bit about prayer. But the point is, is God wants to do an amazing work. God wants to do an amazing work. And remember, I told you about five things that Evan Roberts shared in his day in 1904 in Wales. The first thing he said, if if you want revival, first confess your sins. Two, make any known wrongs right. Three, set aside any doubtful habits. Four, be prompt to obey. And finally, let others know publicly what God is doing. I'd like to pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, that was somewhat of a a lengthy beginning to what I want to share this morning. But I believe a necessary one because many people have not been with us, Lord, during the week. I ask that you would be with us now. Please forgive us, Lord, of our sins, Lord. You know that there are those sins that so easily beset us. There's the call of the world. There's the vagaries in our own minds, Lord. And sometimes, Lord, though we don't like to admit it, there are habits and things in our lives that don't belong there. And sometimes, if not often, we don't even want to let you get rid of them for us. And others suffer in our families, at the workplace, and certainly your kingdom does too. Father, I ask that you would move Dan out of the way and that you'd speak through me this morning. Oh, Father, bless us in a mighty, mighty way, please, through the Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake, for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of those who don't know about you. And, Father, for the sake of those we pray for, but perhaps our prayers are not being answered because some of the things that we'll talk about today, I ask this in Jesus' name with gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I gave you a bit of a handout. If you want to take that handout, if you don't have it, if you raise your hand, a deacon can bring one to you, I was told. I'll go through this uh, without too much delay. If anyone is lacking a handout, raise your hand. We have a person here in the front lacking several. Uh, And there's even a section for you to write in answers to. Uh, I love to give written material because that way people remember what they've heard after the fact. I'm not going to look up all the verses for the things on the first page. You can look them up later. First of all, the most important thing I could tell you about getting answers to prayer is unless you pray, you will not get answers. I know that seems simple, but look at these two quotations there. It is part of God's plan to grant us an answer to the prayer of faith, that which he would not bestow, did we not thus ask. There are blessings waiting that God will not give us if we're not praying. But notice the next one. 
prayer has been made the means of obtaining blessings that would not otherwise be received. There's lots of reasons why people don't pray. I believe partially because they've prayed and they haven't seen answers, so they've kind of given up, or they've bought into the idea that prayer is a discipline, some kind of exercise you go through. That is not true. Prayer is like a conversation with a friend where you share what's on your heart and what you need, and the loving Heavenly Father says, is that all? Isn't there more? Because God wants to bless us in abundant ways. So the first clue of getting answers to prayer is to ask. Ask and what? It shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door what? Will be open for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Okay? Secondly, none of us are good enough. Sometimes we're aware of that. But Jesus said, ask in my name. Jesus is always worthy. And when we ask in his name, we always have standing in the Father's heart. Okay? Literally, our prayers go up to Jesus and Jesus adds his merit, his request, and it goes to the Father as whose request? The request of Jesus on our behalf. We must always ask in Jesus' name. Notice, he explained that the secret of their success would be in asking for strength and grace. How? In his name. He would be present before the Father to make request for them. The prayer of the humble petitioner he presents as his own desire in that soul's behalf. You never have even the slightest reason to say, I'm not worthy, I'm unable to pray. Pray in Jesus' name, and you are. Third, we must believe. We must believe. Okay? We must believe. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm giving you short change. Let's look up the verses. Look at Mark eleven twenty four. There are not many here. The power is in the Word. We've talked about it this week. Mark eleven twenty four. You can look them up later. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and what? If you're lucky, you'll have them, right? No. You will have them. Prayer is, this is the quotation now, Mark eleven twenty four was the verse, prayer is heaven's ordained means of success in the conflict with sin and the development of Christian character. The divine influences that come in answer to the prayer of faith, the prayer that's based on the promises of God, will accomplish in the soul of the suppliant, the one asking, how much? All for that which he pleads, for the pardon of sin, for the Holy Spirit, for a Christ-like temper, for wisdom and strength to do his work, for any gift he's promised, we may ask, and the promise is what? You will receive what you've asked for. Okay? God has said, you're my child, ask, I will give. Four, we must pray according to God's will. Sometimes we have a very immature attitude towards prayer. And some of you may remember this from when I was here last time. I have a friend in another part of the world who when she was first married was very immature in her faith. And she prayed and said, God, I'm not happy in my marriage. My husband has a dangerous job. He cuts trees. And would he at least fall out of the tree and die or cut himself up with a chainsaw? Either way, might my husband die. Sincere. 
And when her husband came home, she was frustrated because God hadn't answered her prayer. My brothers and sisters, God will only answer your prayers if they are for his glory and for your good and for the good of others. Did you hear me? You cannot pray and say, God, have this person you know, die because they're getting in the way of my success. God would not answer that prayer. Did you hear me? Notice, Christ makes it plain that our asking must be according to God's will. We must ask for the things that he has promised and whatever we receive, we must use it in doing his will. The conditions met, the promise is what? Unequivocal. Look at the promise. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask what? Anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. If we ask according to God's will, the promise is we will receive it. Do you want to have a 100% praying average, so to speak? Always ask according to God's will. But remember, every parent knows this, no is as much an answer as yes, right? No is as much an answer as yes. Okay? Next, the need to comply with God's conditions. Look at John 9.31. John 9.31. It says, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. In other words, it says that God doesn't listen to sinners, and I have to add in caveat there, in the same way that he listens to his children, but it says to those who worship him and what? And do his will. Obey him. I have noticed that God sometimes answers prayers for people who don't love God, don't know anything about God. And I believe it's because God often will reveal himself through answered prayer. But if you claim to be a child of God and you are doing something that is dishonoring God, let me assure you God will not ignore what you are doing and still answer your prayers. Did you hear me? Because you see... What is God's effort to reveal himself to someone else if he were to answer your prayers would only be supporting your rebellion? Did you hear me? Remember the story of David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem? The Philistines sent it with golden rats because they'd asked their priests, how can we do this in a respectful way? And they told them, new cart, you know, so you know that it's God. Put some rats to, to please the God. And Ellen White says that God accepted what they did because they knew so little. But when David put the ark on a cart and tried to bring it back and 30,000 people came out, Ellen White says that was rebellion because David knew better. And 30,000 people came out with two ideas. Either it doesn't matter or they figured someone else had studied. And God doesn't buy into someone else studied or it doesn't matter. Right? My brothers and sisters, we serve a God who has given us the most amazing guidebook for our happiness. 
And he's not about to say, some other book is fine, or your own opinion is fine. Then we need to persist. Luke 11, 5 to 9, uh, you know the story. Probably we're not going to read all of that. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 9. It says there, it speaks of a, a friend coming at midnight and needing something, asking for three loaves, and admits that he has nothing to put before this person. And it ends the story, it says, I say to you, verse 8, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him how much? As much as he needs. There is something about persistence. And notice the quotation, unwearingly persist in prayer. God does not say pray once and I will answer you. His word is pray, be instant in prayer, believing ye have the things ye ask, and what? Ye shall receive them, I will answer you. Our persistence, though, is not to change God's mind. Did you know that? Usually our persistence is so that our own minds and our own lives are changed so that we're we're prepared to receive the blessings. If you look at most prayers where, for example, Hannah, maybe you remember the story of Hannah. She was praying for son And she prayed and nothing was changing, right? But finally one day God led her to devote that son as God's. Then God could answer prayer because you see, that son had been chosen by God to be a priest, to be a leader. And until she was prepared to raise that child for God and give that child to God, God could not entrust that child with her. She had many children later, but that first child had a special calling. And some of us, our prayers are too small. We're praying for something we need, and God says, hold on, pray a bigger prayer. Okay? And then there's something to be said for for praise. Philippians 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. Probably you could all quote these verses by memory to me. Philippians 4, verse 6. Daniel didn't have the New Testament then, but he certainly lived by this. Uh, Be anxious for nothing. Most of us are very disobedient in that respect. But in everything by prayer and supplication, how? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Every prayer must include thanksgiving. And sometimes people ask the question, why Thanksgiving, why is it so important? Because Thanksgiving gives us the courage to keep persisting. If we just said, God, please pray, why aren't you you answering? We would leave our prayer time discouraged. But if we say, Lord, we've prayed, and I know you've heard, and I know the answer is coming, praise the Lord. (laughs) There's something about our hearts and our emotions following what comes out of our mouths. And that's why if you're going through a discouraging time, by all means, Look for anything and everything to praise God for. Did you know that? I had a friend who told me she was discouraged, depressed, and and she decided she was going to thank God for anything. And she told me, Dan, when the skies are gray, I, I praise God because I have eyes to see that the skies are gray. And she said, as I began thanking God over and over again, the mist began to lift until finally I was a joyful Christian. There's something to praise. It says in the Bible... A merry heart works like a, what? A good medicine. And I believe it works better than all the medications that science has come up with. Now I must tell you, 
that there are things that hinder answers, okay? So we're going to have a little bit of high fiber time now, okay? Just for a few minutes. Notice first from Steps to Christ. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, if we cling to any known sin, the Lord, what? Will not hear us, but the prayer of the penitent, contrite soul is always accepted. When all known wrongs are righted, we may believe that God will answer our petitions. It says, if we regard iniquity, what does it mean to regard iniquity? Well, she answers it. She says, if we cling to any known sin, if we cherish something that's wrong, if we say, I don't care, God, what you said, I'm going to keep this, she says clearly, God will not hear us. Okay? Look at Psalm 66, verse 18. Psalm 66, verse 18. Psalm 66, verse 18. I'm waiting a few moments so you can all find it. Psalms 66, verse 18. It says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, what? Will not hear. And my brothers and sisters, that is true. If you are cherishing something that is outside of God's will, and you have been busily praying for God to help you in some way, please don't be upset with God. Please do something for yourself. Choose to let God remove that thing out of your life so that God will be able to answer your prayer. Did you hear me? What a waste to go through life in such a way that God is unable to answer our prayers. Other verses there as well. Uh, You can look them up, but, but at least look at Proverbs 28, verse 9. It's not like God is, uh, is ambiguous on this subject at all. Proverbs 28, verse 9. It says there, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. If we've turned away from God, even our prayers come up as an abomination before God. Now let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Let's see what was the hindering factor in Isaiah's day. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. I could give you quotes on every one of these things. Verses 15 to 17. And now please write it in if you would. When you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. In other words, when you're praying... I'm not going to notice, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of doing, evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Then seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Isaiah said, There isn't a concern for justice and doing right. You're forgetting others who are unfortunate, okay? You can read more about it. It says, Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor the cause of the widows comes before them. It's an an uncaring attitude. It's a, you know, what responsibility is that to me? That's the first one. Then if you would look at chapter 58, verse 3. Isaiah 58, verse 3. 
It says there, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. There was exploitation going on. Okay? Notice verse 6 and 7. Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then a promise in verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. Verse 9, And you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he'll say, Here I am. So there, it's care for the needy. And then, verse 13, If you turn away your foot from doing the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the, sab- of, of the earth. The problem there was they were breaking the Sabbath. They weren't keeping the Sabbath in the way that God intended. And uh, in my study this week, and I shared some quotations with the group during the week, if we are breaking the Sabbath, it will stop revival and blessings from coming. God means to be honored. What hindered in Micah's day? Look at Micah chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. Micah chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. Micah chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. Takes a while to find that little book. Micah chapter 3, verses 4 and Then they will cry to the Lord, but what? But he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they've been evil in their deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore you shall have night without vision, etc. The point is, is they had a problem with listening to false prophets. Today, it's a sad thing, but you almost feel guilty in some churches if you read the writings of Ellen White, like there's something wrong. Do you want to know the blessings of God? You must go back. You must go back and accept her writings. It's not necessarily popular, but I believe God gave her writings to be a great blessing. Now, if you would look up the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, it's a little bit further along. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 to 13. And you're welcome to go back later to look up these verses on your own. And we'll come back at least maybe to one of them. 7, starting in verse 8. Thus the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow 
or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed, they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. Once again, in Zechariah's ministry, God says, because you refuse to listen to the prophets that I've sent you, when you pray, I will not hear what you're saying. Did you hear me? Because you refuse to hear my prophets, I will not respond. If you would, look at Second Chronicles 36. Second Chronicles 36. This is, I believe, very true today. Very true today, sadly. And there's no shame by those who, who disdain. But verses 15 and 16, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion. God has given us a prophet in our day. Well, she's not alive now, but has given us a prophet in his compassion because we were ignoring what the Bible taught. But notice verse 16, But they mocked the messengers of God they despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. My brothers and sisters, if God cared enough to send a prophet, don't you think it would be wise for us to read and learn and thereby receive God's blessings? I'm very serious about what I say. It's interesting, and I don't have the verse here in front of me, but Jesus, when he was talking to the people of his day, he said, someday when you get the kingdom, you're going to see Abraham, and he goes through all the patriarchs and the prophets. You see, the very people that they had rejected, Jesus says, you're going to find all of them up in heaven someday. And someday we're going to find those people that we have rejected. Why... Do we not accept God's blessings? Do we really want to be the people which the Bible describes as coming to the point of having no remedy? Let me be personal. Someday, when you and I get to heaven by the grace of God, will we be happy knowing that there are people who are not in heaven because we stubbornly refuse to comply and thereby our prayers never got through? Did you hear me? We are personally responsible. We are personally responsible. Now look at the book of Malachi. Look at the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 1. The middle part of verse 6. God says, Where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Do we reverence God? Do we show reverence to God in His sanctuary, in His house, even here? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled foods on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? 
by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer then to your governor, would he be placed with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, we are offering God not the best, but whatever we don't need. I don't want to say this in criticism, but I remember hearing once a man talking about his ingathering, not his ingathering, his investment project for the Lord. He said, folks, my project is I go for a walk every day, and if I find a coin on the ground, I pick it up and I put it in the bucket so I'll have something to give on investment Sabbath. Does that mean that you have such low regard for God that all you can give him is what you found on the road instead of taking it from your own funds? Please, my brothers and sisters. That's nothing to rejoice over. That's what you get on your knees and say, God, forgive us. Open us, open up our eyes so that we will not fall and fail in that kind of thinking. God has made you a steward. I told the people earlier in the week that if you want to understand an aspect of sin, imagine the fact that, that you have a child that lives at a distance and there's someone who said, I'm going to do what I can to befriend your child. And, and you say, praise God, I'm going to send you some money to do that. And you chuckle in the first person says, you know, I'm sorry, but I joined a, a bowling league. I'm sorry, but man, we have a church baseball team. Now, I hope I'm not s- stepping on any toes, but we just haven't had time to go out. A- and what about your money? Well, you know, we needed new uniforms. We needed some new equipment. My brothers and sisters, it's like that with God. God trusts gives us money and he gives us time for a purpose, not to waste on ourselves. And someday we will be asked to give account for what has been given us. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? That, I believe, is what God is talking about there in the book of Malachi. And by the way, the most precious resource you have is the gift of time. That can never be replaced. Money can, but not time will be asked to give account for our time. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 now. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God says, I can't hear if you are not respecting your wife. God hates divorce for good reason. I hate it as well. And if we think that we can just leave and move on and expect God's blessings, the book of Malachi says, not so. Not so doesn't mean if we've made a mistake and we've repented that we can't come back into relationship. But God says exceedingly clear that if you are not cherishing the wife of your youth, the one you're married to, you're choosing just to abandon, it will definitely take a toll in your spirituality. You must not assume you can just forget your promises, you know, and just move on. I imagine you understand me. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, in the middle. Return to me and I will return to you, 
says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God says, when we are not faithful with our tithe, we are robbing him. And God says, I cannot bless you. My brothers and sisters, that tithe is a constant reminder that all we have belongs to God. And God doesn't take lightly when we ignore that call to be faithful to God with our tithe. Then turn to the book of Haggai. Turn to the book of Haggai. Malachi is the last book, so it's before that. The book of Haggai, just a few books before. Haggai chapter 1. God is speaking to the people. And it says there, Thus says the Lord of hosts, chapter 1, verse 2. This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They were delaying working on God's house. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? God says, how is it that you can live in such a nice way while my work is not going forward well, while my house is in ruins? Now consider, you have sown much, verse 6, and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus, says the Lord, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains. Build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Okay? God says, all of these things have come because you have failed. You have taken care of yourselves instead of taking care of my house. My brothers and sisters, in a rhetorical way, is God's house in ruins. I think it's not doing nearly as well as it should be. If we were all faithful, there would be no lack of means to support and further the work of God. Okay? Jesus added two other things. Jesus said, if you go to the altar and remember there that that there's something between you and your brother, what did he say to do? Leave the gift at the altar, go to your brother, make things right, and then come back. Notice the quotation. One great reason why our brethren and sisters have no more confidence towards God in prayer is that nearly all neglect to follow the words of Jesus in preserving harmony between brethren. They allow various wrongs to exist, and while these differences exist, God neither hears nor answers their prayers. You cannot be in a feud with someone else and expect your prayers to be answered. Did you hear me? She says, and, and it comes from the Bible, Matthew eleven twenty five. If you want, I see there's a typo there. I apologize. Mark eleven twenty five. Look that up if you would for just a moment. I hope you never forget what I've shared today. 
Mark 11, 25. It says, And whenever you stand praying, and if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. If we refuse to forgive or ask forgiveness, it will keep us out of heaven. Did you hear me? And the quotation there says, while these differences exist, God neither hears nor answers your prayer. In my experience, there was a time when I was getting no answers to prayer. And so uh, finally God convicted me about this and I wrote letters out. As a result of that, I saw the windows of heaven open like I could have never imagined. I've had people tell me, Dan, God would never expect me to do that. I don't want to disappoint you, but you're wrong. God is a lot more patient than you are, and he'll just keep turning the screw harder and harder until you finally decide that you need to take it seriously. And by the way, when you go and make things right, it takes a load off your shoulders. You'll become friends with that person. And I've seen people healed in dramatic ways, literally. And I've seen entire families converted because one person in the family decided to make things right with someone else. My brothers and sisters, do not let a feud continue. Your prayers will not be answered if that's what's going on. Finally, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Now we're going to the back of the Bible. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You cannot be unkind and unloving to your wife and expect to get your prayers answered. Did you hear me? If you want to find your job description as a husband, it's found in Ephesians uh, 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's your job description. Wives, there is a submission, but it's submission to a godly, loving husband who'd be willing to give his life on your behalf. Did you hear me? Our relationships in the family can hinder our prayers. My brothers and sisters, these are the things that the Bible talks about. And if some of these things feel a little close to home, if you feel like I've stepped on your toes, then instead of getting on your knees and saying, God, please change what Dan says, say, Lord, help me to make the changes so that I'll not waste my time praying anymore. Did you hear me? We waste our time when these things that I've mentioned are not addressed. So, Please go home and read through these verses. I suggest other verses in each case. If you were to take that seriously, I believe you would see amazing answers to prayer. I've seen those answers. Others have seen those answers. Why waste our time, waste God's time to no avail? God plans to come back for a holy people. God wants to come back someday to a people for whom heaven has already begun in their midst. We are one body. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of us needs to be a committee of one to re-surrender ourselves to whatever the Bible teaches. And then as we discover the rubbish in our hearts, in our lives, and in our homes, we should have the courage to remove them and change them so that God can come in power 
and bring the revival that we're hoping for. If every person in this church does that, the Holy Spirit will be here in a big hurry and your church will be crowded because God will call those who are faithful waiting to see the real thing and God will feel free to trust others with us. What do you say? Is it too hard to do our part so that God can do our, His part? I don't think so. I know for Rose and I, we're going to do our best through the grace of God and I hope you'll join us as well. Thank you so much. That's my prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Now as we come to the end of our service, I want to make a bit of an appeal. You've heard a lot of things this week. And I pray that it's gotten through. But it must continue, right? It must continue. If you want to make a commitment to doing all you can to keep a revival Continuing, because I believe a revival has begun. I want you to come to the front and say, God, by the grace of God, I'm going to take this little handout and I want to make sure there's nothing that's going to hinder my prayers or, by the way, hinder revival. And I'm going to pray for others and I'm going to get together with others and keep praying until the blessings come. I'm absolutely convinced that God will bring the blessings if we are serious with him. This is not an emotional appeal. This is purely a kind of a white-knuckled one saying, Dan, I'm willing to put my life in God's hands and ask that he would carry me forward, you know, in the rivers as well, believing that he'll lead me and keep me and sustain me in whatever that means. If you want to do that, and you're really serious about it, you don't want to lie to God, right? Then please come forward and stand here in the front as your sign that you want to be a part of the solution this morning. Please come forward. This is like Gideon's band, you know? Those that are saying, we're going to uh, allow our lives to change. You're taking human steps, but God is rejoicing and he will send help like you couldn't imagine. Thank you so much. I want to pray. Father in heaven, you have seen people come forward this morning. I am not playing with your emotions. I'm just telling you on their behalf that we want to be found faithful. And we believe being found faithful happens one day at a time, every moment through the day. We invite you, Lord, to come into our lives in a mighty way. We ask that you would open our eyes to see ourselves as you see us. We ask, Father, that you'd convict us, Lord, about the things in our home that don't belong there, the things that we find in our homes, in our lives that don't belong there. And, Lord, we believe that that whatever you say is true, and we are choosing, Lord, to obey you without thinking about the consequences, obeying you to go forward. It's the strong way. It's the wise way. Please, Father, Satan is going to fight, but give us your help. Thank you that your grace is greater than our our sin. You can do what is impossible. As Jay read the other night, you know, we can do all things through Christ and how he always leads us forward in triumph. Well, we claim that victory. Thank you, Lord, that every person here standing is in Jesus a new creation by faith. 
Make it real. And do it now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You have just listened to the final segment of a 10-part evening series on revival entitled Revival Now, given in Benton Harbor, Michigan in January of 2014 with a final session on prayer, Sabbath morning, by myself, Dan Augsburger. If you have listened to the prior installments, you know that we have considered a variety of subjects that speak to the need and the pursuit of revival. Throughout the series, we have been deeply concerned that believers realize that God's formula for forgiveness and revival begins as noted in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are of the opinion that many efforts for revival begin and end with prayer only giving lip service to the all-important elements of confession, humiliation, and repentance. We have accordingly spent much time on the need to confess, what we need to confess, the need to make things right, and the pathway to changing one's behavior, including receiving God's pardon, being changed through the indwelling Savior, the role of trials, and taking up Christ's lifestyle. In the segment you just listened to, we consider the sins that have kept God from answering prayers in the past. The list was unfortunately extensive and listed many things that are going on in the church today. If you would like the handout, please check out the Revival Now page for PDF or write us at pathtoprayer at gmail.com. I hope you have personalized what you've heard, are troubled as a result, and feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit that some things need to change. Well, what should you do? Anything, something? Here are some suggestions. First, confess your sins. Admit you've been wrong. It may be a struggle, but it is necessary. Next, make things right so far as you are able, even if you are humbled into the dust doing so. Then, Commit to changing your ways. Don't forget to ask and claim God's forgiveness as well. Then, ask God to show you anything that is wrong or doubtful in your life and set them aside. Do that to the best of your ability. Doubtful things hinder the Spirit's presence in your life. Finally, earnestly seek God's blessing on your quest for revival. Make sure part of your prayer is asking God to show you anything that would keep your prayers from being answered. Be prompt to obey and let others know what God is doing. We would appreciate knowing how you have been blessed. In that regard, please write us at pathtoprayer at gmail.com and let us know the blessings and the changes that have taken place. There are also many other resources on our website, discipleheart.com. Let me repeat that, discipleheart, no space, discipleheart.com, where you may find very helpful uh, resources and answers. Feel free to also write us if we can help further. We will do our part to get back to you with a helpful answer or resource as soon as possible. Rose joins me in wishing you all of God's best, and we will be praying for you please also pray for us. God bless you. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.